Welcome back to Baltimore Real Estate Full Circle. We have the pleasure today to sit down with an investor I've worked with for probably, what, two, three years now, Charles? I think so. I think so. Wow. Three, two to three years now, we sold him a few properties, and I, I love the work I've seen he's done, and I really wanted to sit down with him and that he could help you guys, your average investor, to kind of see what you could do in this market so firstly, Charles, welcome. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Man, thanks, Yankee. Thanks for having me here. Um, I appreciate it. Um, so, yeah, so I've been, um, you know, investing in real estate here in Baltimore for about 17 years. Um, you know, I, I just I, I just love real estate. Um, it's, it's a passion of mine. So that's, that's it. Um, what got me started was wholesaling. Wow. Uh, yes, yeah, so I started off wholesaling back in... 2000 and something i don't know before uh, the crash or after this was before the crash um but i continued wholesaling through the crash and actually um made more money through the crash than than i did at any other point um i wish i would have kept those properties instead of wholesaling because when i look back at what i sold i still have a a file with Especially. all of those properties when i look at what i sold uh, it's a it's a multi million dollar portfolio. Had I kept those properties, so I kicked myself in the butt for that. But you know, I continue to educate myself, and now I know better. A hundred percent. It's it's really funny you mentioned that because I remember, like in the beginning when you start off, there is that fear that you have, which is, you know, even as myself as an agent, and I used to focus more on wholesaling. It's it's this fear that you have that you're not ready to take it on, and you're willing to make twenty k here, thirty k there. But then you look at what these people did with the properties and what you could have done, and you're like, uh, yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. I, you know, one one of these properties that really kicked me in my butt is there was one on um, Eden Street, um, Eden Street in the, over in East Baltimore. Um, we picked this property up at a short sale. I think we got it for about, uh, I don't know, we got it for about twenty thousand dollars. We wholesaled it we actually wholesaled it to a gentleman that was buying it as a home he ran into a settlement he was injured but the home was in good condition he he purchased it for about 35k so we made uh you know we made fifteen thousand dollars on it but when i look at the value of that property now if i would have kept it for 20k you know now it's it you know worth one hundred and fifty, hundred seventy-five thousand dollars. You know what I mean. So you kick yourself in the butt for stuff like that, but you learn from your mistakes so that you can grow. Um, but yeah, I wish that was a property that that we would have kept. Wow. So what even got you into wholesaling? I mean, I remember <clears throat> before we we started the podcast, we were talking how you grew up in the the west side of Baltimore. But what what got you to that point? Um, so I actually was um, a turn of things. Um, I actually started a whole nother business before I got into real estate. There was a uh, commercial cleaning company um, that we started. We still have that company today. And a friend of mine's here in Baltimore was doing, was wholesaling. And his name is Marcel Humphrey. So we were in college and what he said to me was, um, he came to school one day, we're at Morgan State University. He came to school one day, and he kept telling us about a tax sale, getting into tax sales. Um, we weren't listening, just having fun with our college money. And 
<clears throat> I remember when Marcel bought a car. And I said, how'd you get this car? And he said, it was from the tax sale. I sold the property. I made like $25,000. So we started, so uh, my brother and I started wholesaling uh, with Marcel through his program then. Um, that's where we, that's where we initially started. Uh, we had some great times. We had some, some great profits there. It, it, till today, if you go to YouTube and you look at, um, and if you YouTube uh, Charles Eddington buys houses on YouTube, you'll see some crazy videos that me and Marcel did back in 2008, 2010, wow. up in that era. So that's how we got, that's how we initially started. And then, um, then it just grew. Um, I kept educating myself and I start, just started wholesaling on, on my own. And then I started to say, well, I, I want to have some equity or I want to have something later, right? I started thinking about retirement things, even though I was still young and having fun. I was thinking about, well, where, where can I get lump sums of cash from at a later, at a later age, right? And for me, it was placing money in real estate and waiting for it to appreciate, renting it out, letting that rent um, pay, for the, pay for the property and some cash flow. Um, yeah, so that's how, that's how I got started. Wow. Yeah. That's, it's, it's a really, it's really cool. I like, you see your friend do it. Is your friend still doing it today? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Mar Marcel's still, he's doing some awesome things here in Baltimore. Um, you definitely have to check him out. He did a whole thing about um, uh, Frederick Douglass and Frederick Douglass being in the real estate business. And that's something that you don't know about. Like you just don't know like how real estate touches so many people and where it's been at. So, uh, but yeah, you, you have to check them out. So that, that, that's my guy. I love him to death and I appreciate him for introducing me to real estate. Yeah, no, that's, that's really amazing. And you, like so many people, it starts off with either being an agent or wholesaling, building capital, and then being able to jump in. And you started first, after wholesaling, you started first flipping or doing rentals. What was your goal yep. at that point? So, um, lo and behold, I became a landlord. That was the next thing that I did. So um, I started buying, buying properties, fixing them up, renting them out. Um, then, um, so I remember the first, first property that I, that I bought a two bedroom, two bedroom, two bathroom property, uh, but a great rental area. Then that's over in the Bella Edison area, so great rental. Um, I used that that property to um, have leverage to buy my next one. I didn't cash out from it, but when I went to my hard money lender to buy my next one, they wanted to know, well, do I have experience? Do I have any cash flow? Do I have any other real estate? So I was able to show them all of the all of this criteria. So they lent me the money to buy my next one. When I bought the next one, um, we had to renovate it, um, gutted it all the way down, renovated it, rented that property out, picked it up for about $25,000. $25, I think we put about $70,000 into it. So this is a whole different um, era when $70,000 could get you a good rehab. Um, um, but yeah, so we did that. Um, the property appraised for $180,000. So I was able to rent it out, cash flow. You probably refi that. Oh, you, you refi it probably, what, 130? What was that? Yeah, so you got it. So I refinanced it around 130, pulled that cash out. Then we bought we bought um, an apartment, um, an apartment building. Bought the apartment building. Once I learned about multi-units, that was my first introduction to multi-units, I really did not want to go back to single family homes. Yeah. 
Um, unfortunately, those deals just kept coming out. Unfortunately, but fortunately, I just kept getting single family homes. So I started to build a little portfolio there. Um, and then one day I said, well, you know what? I, if I'm rehabbing them to rent them out, I can probably put a little bit more money in it and then sell it. So I did my first one um, back in 2000 and I mean my first flip 2020, 19, 20, something around there. And then um, after Re what really? Yeah. Wow. So you've been doing rentals for a long time before that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. So I've been doing it for 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 quite some time. Uh, don't talk about it too much. Just kind of keep it quiet and just keep moving. Um, I really just want to show other people that they can do it too. Um, and just be some type of inspiration. So when folks ask me, like, how do they do it, about resources and things like that, you know, I pride myself on being a helper and, you know, helping them get there and understanding it and just doing it all by myself. Yeah. Right. And even just to start with, how did you even know about construction? Did you do it all yourself? Like, how did you even get to that? Like, the whole new thing from selling to doing construction. Yeah. So education so watching things i mean look at the, the the world that we're in right um all of this technology so first it was just looking at different shows um not the you know not the regular um tv shows that don't show you you know all of the issues and all of the problems but you know you can use them for some inspiration but just really looking at some technical um some technical know-how so that I was not ignorant to the different terms or things that you had to do when you rehab a property. Then the next thing is teamwork. So many people shy away from it, but if you really build yourself a good team, you can you, you can really do anything. So I built myself a team of plumbers, uh, carpenters, uh, electricians, general contractors, but the people that I put around me were people who wanted to see me be successful and they know that I always wanted to see them be successful. So when I started my rehabs, they taught me and explained everything to me. It wasn't like, okay, they call me Chuck. It wasn't like Chuck, all right, we're just gonna go ahead, go in and do this and do that. And I didn't see the work and didn't understand and that thing I know was covered up with sheetrock. No, like they showed me, if you take these pipes out, you're gonna have to revert them, you know, divert them this way or divert them that way or whatever. You have to put your electric here, you put your HVAC here, then you have to go through inspections um, and things like that. So they taught me each step of the way um, so that I could be successful. So for me, it was just about having that team and support around me um, that, you know, really wanted to see me, you know, go somewhere. Wow. Especially in today's day and age where the city is cracking down on permits and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm hearing from everyone. It's becoming really hard. Yeah, no, man. My, my, my circle really taught me from day one to, you know, do it the right way. You know, get your permit, pull your permit, have the inspector come in. Um, and then a lot of people shy away from that. It, it's only a few extra dollars. But I think that if you, if, you, if you work with the inspector, one thing is that you can learn from them too, right? There's there's some level of competence there and understanding. I know we get mad with inspectors at times, but if you really take the time to understand what they're looking for, it can educate you for your next one, right? So you know what to do and what not to do, then now you have a smoother process. So just look at everything as a learning experience. Right. You know? Yeah. Right. No, it's very smart because you could try to just use a cane, so to speak, and just limp your way through until you get busted and now you have to, they're probably going to look at all your investments. It, Exactly, you good know. analogy.
Yep. You know, and then, or you just, like you said, literally learn from your first one, and it's not going to cost you really anything if you just do it right again and again. Yep. There you go. Wow. So, 2019, you begin doing flips. And one thing I would like to mention that I heard personally from when you were speaking is that from one property deal, if you're in the right mindset, literally from one that one property deal you got in Bel Air Edison, you're able to refi. And with that, it, kind of, it seemed like it just like opened doors to like, let's go buy more rentals. Yeah, yeah. So the transition for me was was pretty good. Like, you know, when you're when you're in the real estate world, like um, you actually, you know, you get to meet folks. And so what happened was I was wholesaling first. So here you are, you know, in, you're in the pool with a bunch of wholesalers and you know investors that have rental properties and apartment units and everything else, right? So then you leave from from wholesaling to, okay, I'm a buyer now. So your wholesaler friends and buddies and network, they want, they're sending you properties to buy, so you're still on top of it. So as you continue to buy properties and you become a landlord, now you're meeting other landlords that are doing other things. And <clears throat> from those landlords, you start to find out that those landlords are flipping too. So now you build on a whole nother network. So that was like my transition from wholesaling to landlord to flipping. And then in what, 22 years ago, I decided to become a real, a real estate agent. So now, you know, I do have the opportunity to list my own properties. And a lot of people really look at that as like, oh, all right, well, that's the goal because you can keep money. But, um, I think I'm a little different. I became a real estate agent really to help folks in, in communities that don't believe or didn't see themselves as being homeowners. Um, I've been blessed to have the opportunity to provide homes and houses for you know my family, and I want to help people realize that they can obtain that goal too. If they want to invest at some point, we can talk about it. But I think that if they start off, you know, with their own home and learning their their wealth there with their home and keeping it home then i think that's a good start that's so interesting so do you focus when like you said you list your own property at this point being that you're an agent and when you focus on getting buyers i'm assuming most of the time you're working through a buyer's agent mm -hmm. so it's interesting you're able to relay that to the buyer's agent enough where they're able to actually come to that understanding of what you're trying to do which is help the community to afford houses in areas where either you grew up in or you're very familiar with from the past. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and you know, so that's exciting. So, you know, you have people that, you know, they want to see different areas, you know, um, grow and become empowered. Um, you want to see, you know, just different neighborhoods become, you know, beautiful and not deprived as some areas have been. Uh, another beautiful thing that I like seeing is that, you know, you work with uh, a first time home buyer um, who buys a home, you know, in a, a community or area that they grew up in, right? And then two years later or three years later, you know, they're ready to upgrade and get a new home. And then the story that you hear from them is like, yeah, you know what? I was so happy and we love this home. And then now they're ready to grow and do something in another community and provide, you know, other opportunities for their family, right? So you may see someone go, like I said, go from a neighborhood where, Houses range from uh, one hundred and seventy-five thousand to two hundred thousand to two hundred thousand. Now they're ready to buy a home in the neighborhood that's going from three hundred thousand to three hundred and fifty thousand. Right. So when you see that growth and you see that transition, it makes you feel good too because you help them with an opportunity to grow 
and provide, you know, more opportunity for themselves and their family. Wow. Yeah. That's that's pretty amazing right there, really helping everything grow. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to jump into this because I can imagine that this is on the top of everyone's mind today, which is, is there really money to be made in today's market with the risk and the interest rates? Are people actually buying? Is your property sitting for a long time? Like, what, what do you think? All right. So the first thing that I would tell people to do is, you know, open up your computer and see what properties are listed, right? Do you see a newly renovated property, you know, on the market? And it's yes. You can open up your internet. You can go to your browser right now and go to Redfin or anything, and you can see that there's a new property that somebody just rehabbed and they put on the market. Why are they doing that? They're doing that because there is some money to be made. There is opportunity. Are those opportunities slim now? They are slimmer. The market has changed, so there's not as many opportunities out there, but there is still money to be made in the market. It's just about, um, one, networking, talking to people, finding the property, and of course, finding the properties at the right price if you're rehabbing. If you're not rehabbing and you're a homeowner, I think, well, you want to be a homeowner. I think that the I think that the challenge for you is there's not a lot of properties available. So there's a bunch of people putting in the offer on the same property, right? So once again, if you think about that, is there money to be made? Yes, because there's not, there's a lack of inventory. So you're gonna have more people that are looking at your property. And if you did a good job on that property, you're gonna get the offers and you're gonna get multiple offers um, in in this tough market. Um, so I think that's the challenge. So as a somebody that's thinking about selling their home, take that information and see how it fits you, right? You want to sell your home? Yes, if your home is in good conditions, in good shape, a good agent can get you offers by marketing your property. Since there's a lack of inventory, if you are priced right, then you will have multiple offers and multiple folks trying to buy your home. So right. you can still make money as a seller and as an investor in this market. Right. And it's interesting because the main question everyone has is, are you seeing properties that either yourself or your friends have sit for longer periods than they used to? So let's say you used to sit for two weeks. Is it sitting now for 30, 60 days? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so we are seeing, so, you know, we, we do see that. But once again, for me and in my opinion, I feel like the properties that are <clears throat> going to sit for, 30, 60 days, I know even 90 days, to me, I start to say, well, what's the issue? What's, what's, what's the problem with that property? So is it the area? Is it something that's not done in that house? Uh, it's not functionable, meaning, you know, it's not, it's not functionable. Is it a two bedroom, one bathroom property in an area where most homes are three bedrooms, two bathrooms or something like that, right? So why is that property sitting there? Then if it is sitting there, is it the price? So we do see that the market during COVID, you know, that's an anomaly, right? Where we, I mean, you could list a property at seven in the morning and then at 9 a.m., you know, you were under contract over asking, you know, all of the bells and whistles. But now you had a realistic market where buyers are taking their time. They're thinking about the offers that they're putting in, but they are realizing for the right property they need to move quickly if they if they want this property. So if this if the property's sitting 
60 days, what's the issue? What's the real issue with the property that you don't have a contract um, or you're not getting a showing? So what's the issue? And that needs to be a conversation, you know, from the rehabber to the contractor or from the home seller um, with the agent to see what is that, what, what, what's the big issue? Right. Yeah. And I guess the question would be, as an investor, and you work with quite a few investors, based on what we just said, what is, you would say, the number one mistake investors are making right now that is making it that they're not being successful? Because I know from working with a lot of investors that it slowed down on the investor end like crazy in yeah. comparison to two years ago. So what, what mistakes are people doing that's making them slow down? Yeah. So I think that it's still the, um, you may have heard the term, the term, uh, you know, putting lipstick on the pig. And to, in my opinion, that's the biggest mistake that, I, that I've seen where, you know, you have, you'll have an investor go in, get the property, maybe the, the margins or the numbers were already tight from what they purchased it and how much they have to put into the rehab, right? So instead of, you know, making the property have an open floor plan, you know, they're, they're leaving the walls up, just putting some paint on it, maybe changing out the cabinets, um, you know, just real minimum stuff. But the property next door sold for $25,000 more, but they have an open floor plan. They have, you know, a, a deck out back, the paint looks fresh, you know, brand new cabinets, new appliances. They have the bells and whistles. So what happens is everybody who looked at that house next door that sold for $25,000 more, they're, that's what they're looking at. That's the mindset, right? That's what they're looking for now. So when your property comes up and it's not comparing to the property next door that had you know all of these bells and whistles and all you did was put some paint in, you're wondering why you're not selling that property or you're wondering why you're not getting that top dollar. Well, they're not paying you the top dollar because they can see that it's not the same. It's, it, you know, it's not the same. So, you know, I think that that's the biggest mistake that I see from folks um, and just having, you know, shabby work. People want to see nice, neat lines. They want to see clean paint. They want to see a clean area. They want good curb appeal. And for me as an investor, you know, I pride myself on that. I pride myself on being able to say, someone just purchased a good home someone just purchased a home where they're not going to have an issue you know within you know the next year or not anything that we should have caught up front you know and i pride myself on saying that anything can happen in a home you just never know but you know i think that if you catch those things up front and you do a good job i think that the buyer sees that and and then, and then it's quality and what does that do that brings you back that brings me more people that are looking for me to help them sell their home and get their home in the right condition and all of that to sell their home. Right, and that's that's a very, very good point. And you know, I see this on the opposite end with homeowners that are looking to sell, that they have an emotional connection to these properties yeah. and they think, oh, my neighbor sold for 500K, mine's worth 500K. And it's like, you walk into the place and you're like, what, what are you talking about? Yeah. Like, no, this is, like you said, it's not open concept, it's old, whatever it is. And you have to understand that, and especially today where appraisals are so strict compared to what they used to be, you have to look at it like an appraiser. Yep. 
if you want to actually make a deal happen. Yeah, yeah, yes. And so, and that's the tough part right there, right? People don't realize that even <clears throat> once you do the work to the property. So let's say you got two properties side by side, and, I, and I've seen this happen. One property could sell and appraise for let's just say two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Now your property's right next door. Okay, so y'all can come out on the porch and talk to each other. You know, if it's a row home, you can come out on the porch and talk to each other. Your property sells and appraises for $10,000 less. It did the same exact thing. So why is that, right? So it's almost like, you know, we're at the hands of, you know, the appraiser. And, you know, I, I don't not not really the inspection because it's the same work. So if you, did a, if you did good work, then you should be good on the inspection. But... They're kind of at the mercy of the, you know, other appraiser too. A good agent and what I've found and learned is that I'm going to fight you, you know, not literally, you know, but I need for you to prove to me in black and white, you know, within all the rules, why is my property $10,000 less? And we're next door. We both have two bathrooms. We both have three bedrooms. Our square footage is the same. So what's you know what's the what's the difference? And you want to advocate and fight for yourself, and get your value where it needs to be. We've had too many instances where people homes are not being appraised and valued where they should be. Um, so as an agent, I think it's just my duty to fight for it for myself, especially when you know when it's my property that that I'm that I've renovated and I'm selling, and for my home buyers because they want this home. It's a part of their dream. So I want to do everything that I can to to advocate for them and make sure that they have a home that's, that's you know, valued correctly. Right. And like you said, it's an interesting point because I had that recently with a property where I ran comps on the property and the appraisal came back with like 40, I don't know, 30 to 40 K less. Yeah. And I sent comps back and I'm like, this doesn't make sense. Like these comps are for properties that are very different, not the same thing. And we had to find some common ground there to kind of make the deal work because they were just so off. But they were trying to be conservative in this kind of market. That's just mm -hmm. what I've seen in almost every appraisal I'm getting now, which is conservative, conservative. 2020, it was appraisals that I was like, what in the world's going on over here? This is way too inflated. Right. But that's that's kind of where you, you come to. When right. <laughs> and, and, and that's tough, right? So I was talking to an appraiser, and that's tough because... <clears throat> How can they make the call to say, you know, well, I want to be conservative, right? Uh, just like you said, because they're picking that instance or that day that they want to be conservative. Well, these are the numbers in black and white. So how can you pick today to say you want to be conservative because the market may change tomorrow? Well, last week, the property could change tomorrow. You know, but these are the numbers right then and here. And, you know, this is what we would appreciate that you base it off of. Right. Um, so that's, you know, so that's tough. Um, earlier, we were talking about just kind of where do we see the market, um, the market going. We were looking at some home values here. And like I said, in my opinion, you know, the market has slowed up. But my opinion, I think that home prices are going to stay about the same. I think that we may see them actually go up a little bit more. Um, I don't see a drastic dip in home prices coming. Um, like I said, once again, my opinion, uh, but I, I just I, I just don't see that um, when interest rates change. Hopefully, that, hopefully they will. So, 
you know, hopefully that was a good luck, some good luck words I just gave out to everybody. But when interest rates drop, what typically happens? The prices go up. So everybody wants the rates to come down. These prices are going to go up. So these prices, so if the interest rates are up right now, we have a better chance for the for home buyers to have a better chance of the prices staying a little more stable. My, and like I said, it's all my opinion. I'm not a financial guru. Um, this is just, you know, what I've seen and, you know, what I look at. As an investor, we don't like it as much because there's just rates are high for us to borrow the money. So therefore, you know, um, we're not we're not buying as much, so we can't renovate as much. If we can't renovate as much, there's not a lot of homes that are going to be available. So we're still going to be in the same position of uh, um, a lack of inventory. Right. Yeah. Right. And that's that's interesting. I mean, I think we've really gotten through you know where you started from, where we are today. And if you would like to share, I'd love to hear kind of what your your plans going forward for the next few years now, and if you have any new things you're looking to take on that you would want to share? Yeah, so just kind of um, resetting <clears throat> my goals as far as um, the rentals that I want to pick up and 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 hold. Um, so we're looking more at um, multi-units um, and getting into some bigger multi-units, you know, if we can. Um, it's scary when you are trying to make that transition because you know, you're like, man, can I can I really take this on or can I handle this? If you have a building that has 10 or 15 units in it, what the first thing that I think about is the times where I'm getting a call because the toilet is overflowing or there's a leak, right? So now you're talking about, you can get a call and there's 10 leaks, you know? Um, so that's the focus for, you know, for me, <clears throat> as far as an investor um, with my real estate group, I'm looking to grow grow my team, the Nobles Eddington team. I'm looking to grow them so that they understand investing as well, so that they can invest in themselves, but also being able to work with investors to renovate properties and sell properties, which would lead to more communities <clears throat> having homeowners um, and also just beautifying, you know, even more communities. So. You know, if we can do this one house at a time, I think that we're in for some big changes. I love seeing the changes that we have here in Baltimore. I know that sometimes there's some conflicts about, you know, um, <clears throat> why one area is one way and another area is one way. But, you know, we have the opportunity to be a part of these changes. So however you implement yourself to be a part of it, um, you know, you can help shape, you know, shape what it is. Um, you know, and that's, that's us. That's, that's, that's me. Wow. Yeah. Now, thank you so much for coming by. I know you probably have a very busy day today going forward. I could probably imagine. And, you know, working together in the past, it's been really good. And I think we're trying to help you a little bit get into that multifamily field over there. Yeah. If a deal <laughs> makes sense. I mean, yeah. we both know the market. It's a little bit rough out there. Yep. But, you know, thank you so much for stopping by. And is there anything, final words you'd want to tell the, the audience? No, so you know what? I, I just you know, like to tell everybody, um, just stay stay consistent in whatever it is that you're doing. Um, I know that, you know, this is a, uh, you know, a real estate podcast. But, um, you know, just focus on your dreams. Um, you know, become the, the, the pro there um, and just be consistent in it. And then once you're the pro there, you know, help somebody else be a pro and then move on to something else. 
Um, I think that, you know, just growing that way has worked for me. And I think that, you know, you can do a lot if you look at it that way. Beautiful. Thank you so much for your knowledge and, and really all of the work that you've put into the real estate market. And for everyone else, please listen in, subscribe for more episodes, and we hope to catch you guys soon. Have a good one.